welcome to Adventures with ADHD, where I get to join. I get the the joy of spreading, shedding the spotlight on fabulous neurodivergent folks. So I've got Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for coming. You're really welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, thank you. I was going to kind of start again. I'm like, no, no. Let's keep it real. I stuttered over my words and. Do, do, you know, do you know what it's the wonderful thing because um the, to, to to have that realness in a podcast because when you listen to all these podcasts and people are just like so pristine it's just pretty. <laughs> so, so when I launched my podcast one of the instructions to my to my editor was leave it in leave yeah. it in my brain goes wandering or black leave it so no, it's beautiful yeah and it's it it is part of being authentic as well so um yeah, not covering up our our lovely ADHD ways. So, um, so I know you, but let's um, let's find out a bit more about you and what you do. Hey, my name is Sarah Kedge. I am a DEI, Diversity, Equality and Inclusion, Design Thinking Strategist. And that means that I help corporate leaders with complex people problems and to make meaningful change. Um, generally, the stuff that goes beyond box ticking. I'm looking over here because I've got my notes written down. So <laughs> for those people that are watching us on YouTube or wherever, that's why I'm looking over here. Um, it goes beyond box ticking so they can create inclusive and more healthy workplaces. Um, I start with neurodivergence as a, as, a, as a starting point, but fundamentally it's a bit like a Trojan horse because what I actually go into corporates and talk about is critical thinking skills and helping people to do, develop the ability to think about the barriers in their systems, their processes and how they do business for not just neurodivergent people, but LGBTQI plus people, people of colour. So it's that that stuff. But I go in as a Trojan horse. Yeah. The other thing I do is I work with neurodivergent folk um, as a as a, an entrepreneur coach and coping skills coach. So I work with people to understand their neurodivergence and hold experiments and play with things that help them to remove frictions from their lives. For example, I have a keyless life. I have keyless no keys life. in my I have no keys in my life. Because when my old house, there was a thousand keys around the village with neighbors hidden under rocks, because the number of times I lost keys or locked myself out of the house. So when I renovated the place I live in now, I was like, I'm not having that anymore. So I am I am completely keyless. And I haven't, and that means I don't need to hide keys everywhere. I can get in and out of my house, my car. It, it, it's revolutionary for me. Yeah, amazing. And gosh, what difference? So it's revolutionary. So what difference has it made to your day to day living then? It's reduced anxiety. And for me, when I when I work with people on a one to one basis, it's it's often not the big things that make the difference. But the problems with that most neurodivergent people struggle with is the tiny frictions like where are my keys? Have I left them somewhere? Have I got the right keys? Did I lock the house up? And it's hundreds of these tiny little frictions for example I, everything in my house is on subscription that i can get on subscription from the cat food to the toilet paper to the toothpaste it's all on subscription because i no longer it was a friction because i'd go to do laundry and i'd run out of washing powder and i'd forgotten to go and pick new stuff up 
yeah. don't have that problem anymore because it just turns up. Amazing. So it's removing those tiny frictions to create space um, in your brain and in your world, which then has a knock-on effect of reducing the likelihood of me getting to burnout. Brilliant. Yeah. And like you say, it's these seemingly small frictions, but actually the the difference it makes is huge. Yeah. Yeah. It really. Yeah. Love that. Thank you. Um, so tell me, tell us about your journey to understanding and knowing that you are neurodivergent. I always knew that my brain wasn't quite right. Even as a small person, I kind of knew that my brain worked in a slightly different way to most of my peers because uh, when I was asked to do something at school, my brain would run away with itself and have brilliant ideas and different ways of thinking. How I communicated with my friends was different. I was quite an intense child. You know, yeah. I, I, I find this with most neurodivergent people that... I have no I have no need for knowing where you're going on holiday or whether you know your cats I, it's not that I don't care that your cat's well I, I I would just rather have a really deep conversation with you and that's been throughout the whole of my life yeah and I didn't realize that that was a feature of neurodivergence uh, and it took until I was working as a, a strategic project management manager and I was asked to do some budgeting and I was asked to do all oh, the tasks were simple it was take some numbers from this spreadsheet here and move them to the spreadsheet there and I worked on it and numbers have always been difficult for me mm. when I passed it into my boss he came back and said to me I don't know what you were doing or how much you've been drinking but the numbers you've given me bear no relationship to the numbers I gave you Wow. And it was at that point that I was like okay so I need to now do something about this and at that point I was thinking oh it must be dyscalculia yeah. because it's a numbers thing and it wasn't until I went to uh went back to university to do my MBA at Oxford Brooks University that they gave us this the online platform to get hold of all your module guys all your library and if anybody's used Moodle I hate it as a platform it's and so difficult and I was falling behind, not because I didn't want to do the work, because I couldn't find the things. Mm. So long story short, I ended up going to student support services and they suggested that I go and get um, diagnosed with um, or have a, um, an assessment for dyspraxia. Nice. So I did and went and got it. And lo and behold, I am profoundly dyspraxic and I hold on to that word profoundly because it's it was just like I'm not just a little bit I am profoundly yeah. um so that was when it actually sort of shifted from actually dyscalculia to another mm. identity um so that was then the first part of the, my journey uh to to actually having labeling and then I have a friend who is an amazing clinical psychologist and we were sort of having a conversation about this a few years ago and she sort of rubbed her chin and she said, you know what? I see the dyspraxic stuff. Actually, you are also really rather ADHD. And I was like, wow. okay. So this is where the ADHD dys dyspraxia comes in. Yeah. Um, but that was the start, my start of my journey. I was 36 years old when I got my dyspraxic diagnosis. Um, and it then took... Um, 
it took quite a long time. And I see this with a lot of people, um, both in uh, the my community, uh, my clients, uh, and other people around me, is that when you first have your awareness, or at least or your diagnosis, you almost go through, um, uh, a, a, it's a Kubler-Ross uh, cycle of change or grief cycle. Mm. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of like go through these stages. So I went through the stages of denial because when, you know, at the time I was working at a senior management position, how could I be profoundly disabled? Come on. Yeah. So I went through the denial and then it's sort of like, then that starts to sink into my head. And it was actually, if I'd have known this earlier, I should have, could have, would have. Mm. And there was a lot of unpicking and a lot of stuff where I was thinking, at, at different points in my journey, both in my academic and professional life, but also in my personal life. If I'd have understood my uh, dyspraxic brain in, in the way that I do now, I would have approached personal and uh, romantic relationships in a very different way. Yeah. So it took quite, it's taken quite a long time to sort of get my head round and through yeah. to a point where actually there are things I find really difficult. And there are things that I do really well. Yeah. And also to come to the point of recognizing, and this is one of the things that I, I that it grinds my gears about the neurodivergent community, and particularly stuff on TikTok and Instagram, is because when people talk about neurodivergence, they talk about all the things that are really hard. Mm. And it's always about hard and difficult. And it's almost in a fatalistic, this is the end of the road. And mm. actually... There are so many things you can do to improve the quality of your life, to shape some of your neuroplasticity, because some of the stuff is about learned behaviors mm. being given throughout the whole of our lives. And I coined the term requests to modify throughout the whole of our lives. And that's generally from people who love us and who care for us and who want us to be succeeding and part of the community. And as a child, that was often be my parents going, will you be quiet, Sarah? Will you pay attention, Sarah? Oh, my goodness, you're so clumsy. What You've dropped that again. And it's not in was never intended to be harmful. But actually what it did was give me repeated messages that how I am naturally, how my brain works is not OK. Yeah. So I then developed really complex coping mechanisms and, and, and strategies to hide those things, which in and of itself is exhausting yeah yeah so so that's 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 my journey I'll, i will go off <laughs> no, thank you and thank you for sharing so many like insights in there that people and, and myself relate to um so thinking about dyspraxia because that was the diagnosis that came first how does that show up for you uh i am profoundly clumsy my so for dyspraxia the 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 headline um identifying uh, trait of dyspraxia because it's otherwise known as developmental coordination disorder is that my brain doesn't tell my body where it is in relation to the built environment right we, my brain just just doesn't always work it out or it's concentrating on 17 other things so i forget that there's a cup on the side and i knock it mm -hmm. over so i am really clumsy i'm generally covered in bruises or scratches because i've knocked into something or dropped something it's just a feature uh, for me the other thing is and this comes back to the diagnosis thing the excel spreadsheet or the the budgeting thing wasn't an issue necessarily with numbers because when i had my assessment um she um sylvia moody who did my assessment 
she said it's about um taking some in, reading some information putting it into your head that's the mm -hmm. processing thing that doesn't happen so it then goes out of your head in a different way yeah. so it's the processing of information which can be which sometimes means that i take longer to understand instructions websites web forms it takes a long time and it can be incredibly frustrating for me to understand what is actually needed or I just miss the point. Yeah, yeah. There is also a bit for me which shows up in terms of emotional re dysregulation. I, I, I feel things intensely mm. for a very short period of time and then it disperses. So when neurotypical people will generally have a sort of a gradual peak and flow into emotion and then gradual out. I'm like, oh, and gone. Yeah. Um, there is also something for me, and because I do interact with different other human beings in a slightly different way to many other people, uh, I do get quite intense because I'm interested in people and I pay attention and I, and, I, I, and I want to know things. So I'm curious and I don't always understand the social nuances of actually it's not okay to ask that question or now's the time to stop Sarah. Mm. Um, I also find, because I am quite auditory sensitive, um, I've also got no, no sensitivity. So I find places where there are lots of people can be really difficult, particularly when there are lots of physically people, because actually the space thing isn't mm. helpful, but also if, one, I was a hairdresser. My, my first profession profession was as a hairdresser and master barber. Wow. So working in a multi-chair salon, I was able to listen to everybody else's conversations that were going on elsewhere and pay attention. Wow. So if you think about that, but in terms of there are hundreds of people in the room, my brain's binging all over the place trying to listen to what's going on. It just becomes too much. Yeah. So I sometimes I've I've got an award ceremony on Saturday and I've already decided that for the rest of Saturday nothing is happening it's yeah. complete sensory sort of comfort and and same with Sunday it's just because yeah. I know Saturday evening is going to be a lot of peopling there's going to be a lot of noise and I'm going to need time to decompress afterwards so so those are generally the things that stand out for me as how I experience my dyspraxia yeah mm. Yeah, no, thank you. It's so helpful. And yeah, that tip around, you know, you've got an, the ceremony, the event. So then not having anything else that day and the day after. I mean, if if everyone could do that and had the, you know, the ability to do that when things, events come up. I mean, it's a game changer, isn't it? And I've, I do similar myself. If I've got a train, if I'm delivering training, I now just take that whole day off not take the day off but you know don't book other stuff in otherwise um it's days to recover you know rather than one day so and thank and you for sharing one, it's been one of those things that's been learned around because because that request to modify we all of us neurodivergent people do additional emotional intellectual and physical heavy lifting mm. and it has been a real learning journey for me to recognize that i have needs that 
should be met and can be met and it's safe for me to meet those needs so it didn't just happen that I would take you know I go okay I've got an event on Saturday mm -hmm. so therefore um, Saturday during the day and Sunday needs to be down it's been a journey for me to recognize and to feel safe for me to to take those things and to put those boundaries in place for me yeah and safety I think is such a a massive part of everything isn't it feeling safe to to recognize your needs to honor them but yeah like the journey it doesn't just happen overnight this is a lifetime yeah wow so um what helps you then with ADHD and dyspraxia I mean that's a big question but you know a few things that really have made a difference to your life and I've already mentioned being keyless I've already mentioned putting everything on subscription I've just noticed I have I have, I have uh, makeup on my palm that's distracted me. Hello. Um, <laughs> I I used to think of myself as having OCD um, because everything in my house has its place um, and there is a place for everything right down to all of my cutlery is facing in one direction and it, it gets put away in a very particular. And I used to think that was an OCD thing. And the difference for me is because I, I never feared that something terrible would happen if things weren't in the right place. What I was actually doing is I was reducing my sensory overwhelm in the house because if everything was in the place it should be, my eyes didn't have to look at and recognize and understand things that were going on. When I wanted to go and find, um, one of the things I do is uh, when I do my laundry, um, I have my duvet cover and I put uh, the sheet inside, the, um, I fold it up, fold it mostly, and then there's a sheet. And then I put three pillowcases, wrap the duvet around them, and then I put the whole thing in a fourth pillowcase because oh. when I go and change my bed sheets, I can then take a pack out and I then don't have to go to a cupboard of doom looking for the pillowcases. So I've been to it wasn't it's not an OCD. It's a, my brain is finding tips and tricks and ways to. Uh, as I say, today Sarah is doing something that tomorrow Sarah will thank her for. Love so that. it's not OCD. It's just a, it's been habitually finding little things that reduce stress and overwhelm in myself. Yeah, yeah, and that's a really good um, point to make, isn't it? If if you were doing those things because of a fear of something bad happening, then that's then you're into OCD. But this is something different that you've your brain has come up with and and helped you reduce your your struggles and actually if you and this was something that sort of a couple of years ago sort of landed in my head is that i have uh I, i'm quite sporty human uh i i don't enjoy team sports i've i've played on rugby teams and i've tried team it's not my jam my sports are, my enduring sports are um, medium and long distance running, which I do on my own. Um, I'm a pole dancer uh, and a rock climber. Uh, and throughout my life, I've done judo and I've done artistic roller skating. And the thing that's kind of common through all of those is all, if you think about rock climbing, you have to be really aware of where your body is in relation to the rock. So you can put your hand on a hold and then pull yourself up and then do it again. Yeah. So almost if my brain is helping me by attracting me to sports, that means that I have to sort of rewire and sort of 
my brain and actually develop skills that aren't naturally there for me. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's amazing that the the body and brain will work together in that way. Um, what was that? And it's say? one of those things because because when, when we when we we one of the things that most people think is when they talk about their ADHD or their dyspraxia or their autistic brain is there's almost a combat going on and it's almost like my brain doesn't help me my brain is causing me problems mm. and actually if we make a shift towards we listen to what our brain's actually telling us so if we take a moment a step to just actually ask us what do i need right now mm. our brain is wired to help us it wants us to be happy to be safe there, there are two fundamentals with all humans they want to be feel safe and they want to feel loved mm. and your brain is wired for those things and when we shift from our brain is um diseased or dysfunctional and not helpful and shift it to okay so what's my brain trying to help me with and it's one of those things that when i work with adhd clients they talk about sort of um having being distractible or not being able to maintain attention the question for me is what is your brain trying to keep you safe from Mm. Because when I um I've had to do um say work with corporate, so I have to write quotes and I have to sit down and write a quote. And I want to do this because I want to pay my bills and I want to change the world. Sitting me down in front of a quote, my brain is like, I need to pair all my socks, <laughs> I need to order all my books again, I need to check and it's just like, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you trying to save me from? What are you trying to keep me safe from? And sometimes that is fear of being rejected. Because if I put this quote in, the company's got a choice on saying yes or no. And actually, if I distract myself, my brain is distracted and we don't write the quote, we avoid the rejection. Yeah. But actually sitting there and saying, okay, so what are you, what's going on here? Okay, so I'm being distracted from writing this quote because I want to do this. I need to do it because we like living in a house and having food. You're trying to keep us safe from rejection. Okay. How can I reassure myself that it is safe for this company to say no to me? What reassurance, what things do I need for that to be okay? And sometimes it will be after I put the press the send email, I need to go and watch. I'm I'm a fan of the Golden Girls. I need to go and watch some Golden Girls because then mm. that puts me in a happy place. Sometimes it's just I need to remind myself that I've got seven other quotes going out for companies, and one of them will land. Yeah, does that make sense? So it's that listening to yourself, amazing, and working with what's um what your brain tells you because your brain wants to keep you safe. They want you want to be safe. You want to feel loved. Exactly. That's it. Yeah, thank you. And what a what a great kind of thing to share, a great story, because media, social media especially, oh, I've got ADHD, oh, I procrastinate, that the end. No, <laughs> no. And what you've just demonstrated there is there's a reason, there'll be different reasons, they'll, you know, it will fluctuate, it will be different. And that's the point. It's we still have we're still humans and have brains, so what do we need? Yeah. And actually, there are some really basic habits that you can start for yourself. And, it, and again, I talk about it as being pulling the end of the ball of string. So you've got a massive ball of wool and it can feel overwhelming. And sort of all the things you find difficult with ADHD and dyspraxia, it can feel so much. 
what's the end of your ball of string? What is the one habit or behavior you can put into your day that is going to make pulling that string just unravel? For me, I make my bed religiously, whether I'm in a hotel room or I'm at home or I'm anywhere else, I make my bed yeah. every day. And for me, that does a number of things. Number one, it tells me now it's time to wake up. So my brain is like, oh, we're up now, we're awake. So it gives a message. It's a clear, today the day is starting, sleep is finished. And as somebody who is chronically insomniac, that messaging at the beginning of the day is the thing that sets me up for a good night's sleep later that day. Right. I don't start my sleep pattern at night. It starts on the morning. Every time I get up, make the bed, yeah. my brain now knows it's time to do things. Yeah. It's yeah. a gift to my future self because future Sarah is going to like getting into a nice snuggly bed. It's a nice yeah. well-kept for bed because I've loved myself enough to clean and tidy my bedroom. It also gives the message that it's safe for me to have nice, tidy things. It also tells my brain that, that okay, so today is going to be a good day because we, we've, we've achieved something. Yeah. And, and quite often we, and I, when I listen to people, neurodivergent people, I say, oh, I haven't done anything today. If the only thing you did that day was pull your sheets over and put your pillow straight, you have achieved something. You made your bed. You are already yeah. winning. Yeah, it's... So there are all the, these tiny little habits that you can put into your life that sets the day up to be better and different. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it is, I think people think it has to be a big, giant habit that you're going to get just like that, which is so unrealistic. But the smaller habits and even, you know, make them as small as possible and and then you're setting yourself up. And, and and this comes also comes down to when people feel overwhelmed. It's like um, so we're in a, in a book launch at the moment. Um, mm. Just going to launch a book, and my brain went all of the things I need to do. I need to do this and 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 this. And then all of a sudden, my brain went from being really excited to being completely overwhelmed. Yeah, I don't know where to start. And the question for myself is, okay, so what's the first step? And I was like, well, this. But then this, but then this, but then this, but then this. And it's like, okay, so that's not the first step. So what's the step before that? And just keep asking myself, what's the first next step until I get to the point where my brain will not give me any any yes buts. Yeah. And sometimes that is sitting up. You're in bed, sit up. That's your first step. Now what's the next step? I put my feet on the floor. Okay, what's the next step? I walk to my office. What's the next step? I turn my computer on. What's the next first step? So, so it's sort of almost sort of walking yourself backwards from overwhelm of all the potentials. What's the first next step? Yeah. yeah. And because if you keep taking the first next step, you will get there. It's the 1% rule. If you keep doing one step, you will get there. You yeah. will get nowhere if you're thinking about all the thousands of potential options and all the things you've got to do before you take the first step. Yeah, brilliant. That is just so amazing. Like, amazing? Yeah, it is amazing because our brains don't naturally go there, do they? So it's about training, training your brain. And if you can ask yourself that question, what's the next step? What's the first next step? Brilliant. God, so many tips. Um, So what are some of the... There's, throughout our conversation it's really clear that you've got some amazing strategies you know you're 
know what you're doing but what would you say you're really good at and this can be related to neurodivergence or not because of course we're all part of a whole so what are some of your strengths so i i'm really good at problem solving mm. i'm really exceptionally good at problem solving. so when i was working in 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 businesses and I would, I would go into sort of like a board meeting. We're like, we've got this intractable problem. We've got this thing we can't solve. Or nah. And my brain went, okay, I've solved that. Can we move on to a next thing? And it's like, and, and in my brain, because it goes into 17 different directions, it goes, okay, so this is the sequence of events. And, I, and by the time they finish the sentence, I've done the project plan, the critical path, I've done the risk assessment, I've done the marketing and the messaging, and it's all done. Wow challenge for that is that when you're sitting in a room full of neurotypical people you kind of have to wait for them to catch up yeah it can be <laughs> excruciating <laughs> absolutely the other thing i'm particularly good at is i'm really and this comes it comes with uh the neurodivergent thing because with neurodivergent people we are often really good at reading people and we can become chameleons yeah. because it comes back to the request to modify so I've been told throughout the whole of my life in, in very tiny ways that I'm not quite okay. So I'm really good at, you can drop me into, whether it's a crack den in the middle of London, or you can drop me into a five-star hotel within a few seconds. I've clocked how you to, how you behave and I know the rules. Mm. And I can behave and play the part. And that's partly, that's a sort of a, a sort of a, 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 a sort of a learned behavior thing. Um, but it also comes in from my professional career. So as I said, I'm, I started my working life off, off in, in hairdressers and you learn to talk to everybody. Yeah. Um, I've been, and from that, I went to, um, I, I did youth work and then I was a probation officer for many years. So you kind of learn how to work with people and solve their problems for them, whether it's I have straight hair and I want it curly or I am uh, I'm, I'm currently on probation and I have um, a problem with my finances, which is resulting in offending behavior. So I've got that ability to listen to people, pay attention completely to them and then support them with this problem solving to uh, hold experiments with them to like, OK, so what is the solution to your problem? And this comes with the um, the comes really brilliant with my coaching stuff, because it's not my solution. It's never my solution. I have a bunch of experience behind me of things that have worked for other people, but actually let's play with you. What excites you? What works for you? Because if somebody's getting to work on time, their solution is to put coffee in the coffee maker the night before. Other people, it's going to be having time sequences. Other people, it's going to be something completely different. But it's, it's the thing that I'm good at is sort of listening, paying attention and helping them curate an experiment that they can go and play with. Yeah. And I, I love this, the idea of it being an experiment, because so many neurodivergent people can be quite all or nothing thinking. So tried that, didn't work. Yeah. Call it an experiment. That's the pressure's off. It's like, oh, OK, let's play. And also, if something doesn't have the desired effect, we have feedback. Yeah. So we now know putting the coffee ready in the morning is not the route to getting you to work on time. We now know that that's feedback. 
and we can use that feedback to curate our next experiment and go and play again because again life people think life's so serious and particularly when you sort of like when when i'm working corporates or people running their own business it, it all gets very serious yeah and actually when you lighten up and you play your brain relaxes and finds better solutions yeah which Again, which is why I do design thinking rather than the sort of the, the standard EDI, um, equality, diversity, inclusion, training and consultancy, which is let me go into a room and tell you why you are a terrible human being and discriminatory. Yeah, and they'll be sitting there like that. I've they been on those training days. I've been on those <laughs> training days coming out going, oh, my God, I'm a horrible human being. <laughs> That's awful. I'm laughing, but it's, yeah, it's just... It, it's just so when I go into companies, it's about okay, this is some information. Let's explore what that means for you. Let's talk about because all businesses are, it doesn't matter whether you're a solopreneur or whether you're a global business, all your businesses is getting goods and people attracted to you in the front door in your business and doing some form of transformation and out the back end. That's all a business is. And what inclusion is, uh, is looking at that process, regarding, and it will be different because if you work in HR, your, your job is to get people for the right jobs in the front door into those and to help them out. If you're in manufacturing, it might be getting raw materials in, transforming them, getting it. All inclusion is, is removing the frictions and the barriers to getting the best good services and people in the front door to transform them to the highest quality value and getting them out. And when you shift the conversation from you need to know everything there is about, I'm, I'm doing a lot of work at the moment about decolonizing my practice. It's blowing my mind. Wow. I don't need to know everything. What I need is the thinking skill to ask the question, what is the barrier that I'm inadvertently creating to get the right people, goods and services into my business? What are the barriers that are created by how I run my business that are stopping the best quality and best value being added to what I do to get it out the back door? And it shifts the conversation from being you're a bad, horrible human to how do we make this business work better for more people? Lovely. Love it. Brilliant. Okay. Um, so you mentioned a book. Tell me about the book. Oh, this is our second book. This is our, um so back at back in 2020, July roll back. I started into this consultant. I've had other businesses, but I started this particular business um as a result of pandemic. So it's it at the time it was rotten as mm. sticks, but it was actually a real gift. And in July, June of 2020, I was introduced to a wonderful human called G. Sabini Roberts, who at the time was starting a podcast called The Entrepreneuro Show. And it was for neurodivergent entrepreneurs, and it was going to be a podcast. Brilliant podcast, didn't get past the first season. However, they wanted somebody to run a community that sat alongside the podcast. At the time, I was not doing very much. I was starting my business. And they said, would you like to run the community? I was like, mm-hmm. Okay. I've never done it before. Why not? Again, this is one of those things about neurodivergent people. We um we are people that are have a risk tolerance because we've mucked it up so many times. What's the worst that's gonna happen? Ah, yeah. Let's give it a go. Let's have fun. Uh and the first year in there, we wrote an anthology of neurodivergent 
business owners' stories. So it's a sm it's quite a small book, but there are stories of people who are neurodivergent and running businesses really successfully. So that was our first book, and that was the new how to entrepreneurs community book. Yeah. Fast forward to uh, middle of last year, it was like we actually know some things now because we've been running the community and it's it's, it's a really active um, community. We have a bunch of things that happen every week. How about we decant what we know into a book? Because when you go to, I did my MBA, I teach Oxford Brits or the business and management. And what they teach is neurotypical ways of doing things. Right. If you want to run a business, start with a business plan. <laughs> Let's unbake that from a neurodivergent perspective. <laughs> if I'm dyslexic, dysgraphic or dyscalculic, the concept of writing a multi-page document is going to get my brain going, no. Mm. If I'm an ADHD person, you're asking me to keep a linear train of thought long enough to write this multi-page document. If you're an autistic person, you might have the type of brain who's going to have to have it so perfect and, and all of the options and permeations that it's just going to be an... Mm -hmm. Business planning doesn't work for most neurodivergent entrepreneurs. There are other ways of doing it. And what the book is is talking through that you don't have to run your business in the way that you've been told. You get to design and curate your business in a way that works for you. The good thing is, is that if you design a business that works for you, nine out of times out of 10, it's going to also work for the people that you're trying to attract because you're creating a frictionless business. So the book is walking through all of the um, we've got um, we've got a chapter on taps and traps and tax because neurodivergent people quite often fall into traps when setting up their businesses. Hands up all of those people who have bought 150 different courses, all promising them the earth, and they've sat in the inbox and never been looked at. It's a mm -hmm. trap because we want to know the things we want to do this well, and we get suckered in mm -hmm. to buying the things. And most of the courses have really good content if you did something with them yeah yeah the neurodivergent brain will go well that didn't work so it comes back to that that didn't work so i'm going to buy that and then i'm going to mm. buy that and i'm going to buy that and you end up feeling really demoralized yeah. the the traps and taxes also talk about the neurodivergent taxes the things like the forgotten subscriptions that cost you and your business money yeah fines we've just um we're recording in february so in the uk we've just had our tax return deadline the number of neurodivergent people who don't file their taxes on time and then get fined. It's a tax on running a business because of your neurodivergence. Mm. So what the book is, is it's pulling all this stuff apart and saying, putting it back together, saying there is another way. There is a way of running your business that works for you and your neurodivergence. It doesn't mean you're doing more work. It doesn't lead you to burnout. There is another way amazing when is it out i want to get my hands on it <laughs> we uh we're having a soft launch on the first of february oh that's a lie i oh. told you a lie <laughs> we're on the 14th happy valentine's day for everybody um <laughs> it's on the first of march is a soft launch um the 20th of march in the middle of neurodiversity celebration week is the big launch um we the website will be up hopefully by the end of today which is neurodivergententrepreneurship.com.co.uk.org and we bought all of the things again it's one of those neurodivergent things how do you know you how do you know you're neurodivergent without telling me you're neurodivergent i collect web domains <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
oh good that sounds like an awesome book um really helpful as well and the fact that you do you can do it your own way which can take a a while for people to to realize because of all the conditioning around you've got to do it this way so and absolutely and the the whole point of running a business is because many neurodivergent people have tried to fit into businesses and tried to have proper jobs and it doesn't work for them because the way the businesses are designed create hostility in and of themselves, even if you think about Monday to Friday, nine to five, if you're an ADHD human, your energy and attention might not work in that linear way in that way. So actually that's a barrier. So the purpose of the book is to help people to recognize that there is another way of doing it. Okay, my brain's gone in seven directions. Number one, because when we come out of businesses and go, right, I'm not doing that again, I'm not gonna have another job ever again. We then go and design a business to the model that's just burnt us out. Yeah, yeah. It makes no sense. But we didn't know that there was another option. So it's that. And it's also talking about how trying to encourage and walk people in a neurodivergent way towards getting a successful business. And that means changing the world and means earning you money. I'm a massive, great big hippie. And I recognize that money gives you choices. Yeah, lovely. Brilliant. And, um, can you one we're near nearing the end so before we talk about how people can contact you what's your top tip for anyone that suddenly realized or realizing that they're neurodivergent whether diagnosed or self-diagnosed so and, and absolutely that point that's really good self-identification is valid mm. it absolutely is so whether you are clinically neurodivergent or you are self-identifying as long as this is giving you language to help you to recognize patterns in your behavior and find ways of making your life easier, valid. If you're newly aware about your neurodivergence, I would encourage you to take your time. Mm. What you're doing is you are unpicking a lifetime of conditioning, messaging, understanding of yourself. Uh, what am I, 45 years old and I got my diagnosis at 36, so what am I, 14 years in? I am still uncovering bits about myself that I was like, oh, that's hard. Didn't realise that. I need to find a new way of doing that. So when when you start your neurodivergent awareness journey or your diagnosis journey, people want to get to the end. Mm. Take your time. It will take time. Hold experiments. Work um with yourself and just take your time over it yeah i think can i have another thing of course go for it one of the things and it's um uh i'm a queer individual and I, i'm making a, a, a sort of a sort of a kinship to not kinship i relate it in the same ways when i first came out as being gay mm. um i was excited about it and i was like oh amazing everybody and some of the people around me were like that's okay I'm going to need some time to get my head around this. Yeah. And it's the same as when you're, when you're going through your neurodiversion awareness journey is because people will know you as a neurotypical human or assume neurotypicalness. And as you go through your journey, start to uncover bits about yourself that you find hard and finding different ways of doing things. The people around you that love and care for you, this is new information to them. You may have been thinking about this for six, nine, 12 months. So you've done some of the thinking journey, but for the people around you, it's new information. 
So my second tip, and I'm thank you, Suze, for giving me too. My second tip is to be mindful that you need to take those people that love and care and support you with you on the journey. They will be a different place in the journey to you. And that might look like confusion. That might look like crossness because, but I knew you as this type of person and now you're not that. And I want that old person back. Yeah. So take with you and be really gentle and mindful that people do love you and do care for you. And they just need a little bit more time to come with you to where you are. That's such a good a good piece of advice and tip because, you know, so many people are, are excited or it's it's answered all their, their whole lifetime of questions. And then people are like, well, you don't look like you've got ADHD. And they come out with these silly, silly, they are silly things. They don't know they're silly. <laughs> Surely they don't. Otherwise, they wouldn't say it. But really unhelpful um, comments like you don't look like you've got ADHD or you don't look autistic. And that can be so hurtful, can't it, for people? And they're like crushed. Um, and I, I would, you know, I was there myself. Um, but so your advice of, yeah, re- being a bit more aware of where they are on this journey and they're not anywhere near you. As well yeah. as where you because the, and there's things where you don't look ADHD that often comes from a place of confusion hang on a mm. second I've known my sister my whole life and you're now telling me you're a different type of human being and that's gonna have emotions in me so as much as it's unhelpful to the person actually that's and this is the difficulty thing with with some of this is because as a neurodivergent person coming on your awareness journey you're almost having to hold space for other people's change process while you're doing your own journey it's yeah. hard work so yeah. take your time take people along with you for the ride lovely thank you um brilliant thanks so much sarah um how can people get in touch with you if they want to talk to you about training or coaching or anything um my i'm sarah cage all over the place so that's s-a-r-a-k-e-d-g-e um, I'm on Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, Facebook. I've got the Neurodiversity Business po- Podcast. I have a website. Sarah, that's 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 where you can find me. Sarah Kedge, you'll find me. Brilliant. Thank you so much for coming along and sharing so openly. It's been great. You're really welcome. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Mm-hmm.